0: John chapter 15, this is the third message on John 15, verses 1 through 8. We'll be focusing our attention primarily on verse 6, John 15, 1 through 8, primarily verse 6. Again, if you forgot the title of this three-part message, it is Disciples are Identified by Fruit Production. So let us read. Verse 2, verse 4, and verse 6. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts off, he takes away, or he cuts off. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And then the very last part of verse 8, fruit bearing is what proves you to be a disciple. You see that at the end of verse 8, and so prove to be my disciples. The word prove there in the Greek is the word genoma. So so to become or to be a disciple, to prove, to validate that you are a disciple. All right, a little bit of repeat, uh, and then we'll spend the primary amount of our time this morning on verse 6. But I need to revisit for just a moment the word Fruit. Uh, Because that's central to our passage, we must abide in the vine and produce fruit. I gave you 10 fruits, and the 10th one being the fruits of the Spirit, which had a list. But let me very briefly remind you of those 10, lest you be confused about what fruit is. So as we begin, just be reminded of this. These are fruits that Christians produce. Number one was repentance. That's a part of the Christian life. We're repenting of sin as we pursue Christ. Repentance is the means by which we're formed into the image of Christ. As you hear these fruits, you ask yourself, am I a person who repents? Do I repent in my life? Does that describe who I am? If there's not repentance in your life, It makes your state before God questionable. Number two, real life. What we said on real life is this is external observations. People can see how you act, how you speak, what you do. These are external fruits of real life. In other words, what they see on Monday at 11 o'clock, what they see on Tuesday night in your living room, What is being produced in your life? Your attitudes, your decisions, your actions. So, Monday through Saturday, as your external life is observed, people go, That man loves Christ. Or they say, What? What do they say about your external fruits? Repentance is internal, real life is external. Do you have the fruit of godliness? Number three was the reality of the effect of God's Word. Reality. What bearing does the Word of God have on your life? Do you love the Word? Do you love the preaching of the Word? Do you, do you have a belief in the Word? Do you honor the Word? Do you seek the Word? Now, in all of these, I'm going far beyond This minimal hour gathering. That's not what we're considering. We're considering our lives. What priority of reality does the Word of God have on you tomorrow when you make decisions about your job and your children? What what effect does the Word have? That's a fruit of Christianity. Issue comes up and the Christian says, What saith the Lord? What does God's Word say where I can have direction? That's a fruit of a Christian. Number four was reflection. We reflect or carry His name wherever we go. We belong to Christ. We represent Him in all of our affairs. Number five was the fruit of righteousness. The great fruits of righteousness. Agreeing with God. What God hates, I hate. What God loves, I love. God says it's sin, I say it's sin. God says it's right, I say it's right. That's righteousness is being in unity with God. We live in a world with a cacophony of voices. Is homosexuality a sin? Is abortion murder? All these issues that are out there. I agree with God. It's an abomination for a man to lie with a man. It's an abomination for a woman to lie with a woman. It's, it's, it's to break the commands of God to take an innocent human life. I agree with God. Well, that's not the popular opinion. Righteousness is a fruit of agreeing with God. What does God say? Then that's, the matter's closed at that point. Number six, we saw the fruit of rays of light. You are light in the Lord. Lord. Walk as children of light. And the text told us that light consists of what? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what light is. It, it consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. That affects your character, your calling, and your conviction. Number seven, here's the fruit, reaching. You've heard Jeff's testimony of the outreach on Friday night, other outreaches going on, mission work going on. The fruit of a Christian is we want to see people saved. We want to see people repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the desire of our heart. We pray for our children. We pray for our grandchildren. We pray for our neighbors by name. And we're like, Lord, please save them for Jesus' sake. Let Jesus receive the reward of his suffering. We pray that because we want people to be raised from the dead and given life. It's the fruit of Christianity. Why do you want people to be saved? It's just something in me. God put it there. Then we saw number eight. A a fruit is the rod, the rod of discipline. The great fruits is that the Lord disciplines those he loves. When he disciplines us, according to Hebrews, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Christians are disciplined. Think in your life. When you go astray, we all go astray, when you do... Is there a disciplining hand that comes upon you? Is, have you found it odd that when you get caught in sin during the week, that then you somehow come to church and there's a text, a verse, a phrase, or a word that pierces your heart? Rejoice, because that's the disciplining hand of God pricking your heart, exposing that, where you can go back to number one, Repentance. And then number nine we saw was the word revere, the word revere or worship. I'm afraid it could be true this morning that some of you it's an inconvenience to come to church. For some of you it's an act of just willpower or the aspect of discipline of this is what I always do, my practice. But worship ought to be your very heart. It's like, I can't wait for Sunday. In a very real sense, very practically, tonight when this day ends and I lay down at 9 o'clock and I go to bed, what am I thinking when I wake up? When will Sunday get here? This, this is the day. This is the only day that really matters. Today, I'm with brothers and sisters in Christ. Today, I get, me and Travis, we sing horribly. I mean, I'm bad and he's worse. And, and I'm like, we're singing at the top of our lungs. It's the only time I get to do that. It's the only time. I don't need, I don't need it. It's the only time that I get to lift my voice with brothers and sisters and I can hear other people. This, that's a fruit. Lost people don't long to come to the house of God and exalt Christ. But Christians do. They like to say amen when the truth is preached. There's a song. They say amen to it. They're attentive to preaching. They love to give. Our heart's just filled with joy. Several people today, can I give? Is there a need? Is this? I'm like, that's Christianity. I just want to be generous. I just want to give. Why? Because I didn't know if God's name would be honored. Prayers on and on. The reverence of worship. And then the tenth thing that we saw had a whole bunch of things with it. The tenth thing that we saw was the reasonableness of spiritual fruit. Reasonable. This is a reasonable request, a reasonable clarity, if you will. The fruit of the Spirit is. Not the fruit of the Spirit might be, but the fruit of the Spirit is. And we'll talk about those in just a moment. But let me offer this before we move on. The vine flows through the branch to produce fruits, and these fruits exhibit the qualities of Christ. In a nutshell, what is fruit? That which looks like Christ. Take all of those and put them all together. It's a life that reflects Christ's life. You say, well, nobody's perfect. I agree wholeheartedly. I'm not there either, but there ought to be something in the pattern of our life that looks like Christ, and it ought to increase. All right, so those are fruits to be reminded of, and now we move into this last section, the last sermon on this section of fruitless. Fruitlessness in verses 2, 4, and 6, primarily verse 6. It reminds you of just a couple of things in this section. Those that do not produce fruit are very clearly, without question, cut off. They're cut off. Anybody in the room with half a brain can make the connection. If the branch is not connected to the vine, it's dead. Okay, it'll take time, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but at least understand this. They are distinctly and clearly cut off. And we'll give you the longer definition from a lexicon because it has a phrase in here we never use. The word arrow means to take away, to remove, to seize control without the suggestion of lifting up. We're not lifting up a branch. We're grabbing a hold of it and ripping it off the vine. And then, take away, remove, by force, even killing. Even to kill the branch is the context of this word. To cut it off with no remedy for life. Now, This is the difficulty that we still live in, in this room, and in rooms all around the globe today. Here's the difficulty. Now, not not looking at the fruit at this moment, talked about that, but now, right now for just a moment, we're looking at branches. The branches are cut off. Here's the difficulty. When you look at branches, apart from fruit, and you look at branches, all the branches look the same. All of them. It's the branches. this is the branches. this is the branches. this is the branch. Which ones are the true branches? It's like the wheat and the tares are growing together, and we can't tell which is which. Both are branches. Both seem to be connected to the vine because we have this context that being in the church is being in the vine. We're here to worship. We're here to be around Christ. We're here to use religious language. And so all these branches are gathered in the room. But not all are branches. How how are we going to distinguish branches? Well, let me give you an illustration I think I stole from Spurgeon. Think about, well, I'll steal it from Spurgeon and modernize it a bit, but there's a place out in Tennessee called Shallow, and there's a battlefield there, and you can go and visit it, and it's got all this war memorabilia from the north and the south, and it's quite interesting because, it was back when men were men and they really fought, you know, and so like you have all these men, it seems strange to us, but you have the men on this end of the field and the men on this end of the field, and they have these muskets, and they look at each other in the eye, and they walk forward, and they hold up their muskets, and they look at each other, and they fire, right? I mean, face to face, toe to toe, and they lift up their guns, and they shoot. It takes men to do this. You say, so what is your What is your point? Everybody before the war looks the same. They wear the same clothes. They march to the same drummer. They sing the same songs. They fight the same enemy. They're all the same until when? Until the first shot is fired. What happens? Somebody hides, somebody runs. Somebody leaves the military and goes AWOL. Somebody hides and becomes known as the coward of the group. It's in the battle that the soldier is identified. This is a soldier. Here's one who stood on the front lines and said, God is sovereign and I won't die a moment early. Let's go forth. He's the soldier. It's the same way with the branches. Everybody looks like a branch until heat is applied. Until there's difficulty or turmoil, and then those that are not really branches will separate from the vine and go off another way. Now, think about it this morning. I told you we would revisit for a moment the fruits of the Spirit. These are all rhetorical questions. Let them set in your heart, and then we'll move to verse 6 and expound it this morning. Now, think about these questions. Every one of these questions in order on the fruits of the Spirit. Do you love? Do you love God? Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love the Holy Spirit? Do you love the Word of God? Do you love the local church? Now understand, in context, love means dying to self and putting something else as the priority. Love means sacrificing and being for the betterment of someone else or giving for the good of someone else. Do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love God's Word? Do you sacrifice everything to make sure that God's Word is preeminent in your life? Do you love His church? Will you join it? Will you commit to it? Will you serve it until you die? Do you love? Do you have joy? Do you have joy in daily life? Do you have joy on Monday morning? Do you have joy in worship? Do you have joy when the word is preached? Do you have joy in the fellowship of the church? Do you have joy in your family, at home, in your living room? Do you have joy in whatever situation you find yourself in that, although you may not feel all that great, in your heart you have this abiding joy that's real? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have peace? Peace with God. Peace with the reality of life and death that you must face? Do you have peace with others? Do you have patience in life? Do you have patience with people? Do you have patience with God? Do you have patience when things are difficult? Are you a person of patience? Do you have kindness with others, with your own family? Do you have kindness with your own church family? Are you known as a person who is kind-hearted? Do you have goodness? Goodness is kind of play on words. You have to go back to the old word in King James. It's a word, meekness. It's displayed in generosity. I mean, so meek, you have a beneficial nature towards others. Is that you? You're always looking to bless someone else? Do you have faithfulness to what? Faithfulness to the gospel. Faithfulness to the truth of God's word. Do you have faithfulness there? Faithfulness to the Lord. Do you have faithfulness to the church? Is it said of you, this man, come hell or high water, I know what he'll be. He'll be serving his church, reading his word, committed to the truth of God because he's faithful. See, I, I pray those acronyms, you know, and I always pray family and pray this every day for my family. And number one's easy because it's faithfulness. God, I know you've been faithful to my kids. I know you've been faithful to my grandkids. I know you've been faithful to my wife. And God, I pray they be faithful to you. They have not one reason not to be faithful to you because you've always been faithful. So I pray for my family. It's a, it's a fruit of Christianity, faithfulness unto the things of God. Do you have gentleness, demonstrated By not focusing on self-importance. Do you have self-control? Man, this one right here ought to rock somebody's world. Do you have self-control in your temper? You say, look, we're not that smart around here. You smile, say Jesus, and I love you. But you know at work one little thing goes wrong and your face turns red and anger wells up. And you start saying things you would never say here. A fruit of the Spirit is a person who has self-control. They're able to control that because God's done a work in their heart. They have self-control in their decisions. Oh, it gets even a little bit more hairy. They have self-control in eating and self-control in drinking. They have their body under control because it's a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit gives them the strength to control their lives. and They don't just live by the whims of emotion and feeling. Do you have self-control in the midst of tension? If you do not possess these qualities, and they're not growing or being enlarged over time, you're in a position of being cut off. There's the danger. At any moment, if there's not genuine fruit produced... The end of your relationship to the vine can come. Now, don't misunderstand me. I didn't say anybody had any of these fruits perfectly, but they have them. How do I know that? Because they are the fruit of the Spirit. And every Christian has the Spirit, and the Spirit produces these fruits in the Christian it's it's a logical necessity. If these fruits are not here and they're not growing in me, preacher, you're saying I'm not connected to the vine? That's exactly what the text is saying. You say, what am I to do? Grab hold of the vine and don't let go. Good, close. You find out in the end he's hanging on to you. He says, every Branch in me this in this vicinity of this vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. It doesn't matter your denomination, your religious background, your uh, four hundred one, five K, C retirement plan, whatever—all of that is none of that matters. If if you're not a fruit bearer, he says, you'll be cut off. Now, I ponder this question. How are non-fruit producers cut off? Some are cut off by apostasy. They come to church, like a guy I won't name. You can't guess who I'm talking about. There's no way. A guy came to the church, excited, come do some things in my office. We met together, went out over on Liberty School Road, Went to a neighborhood, it's a mile long through the loop. Went to every house in the neighborhood, knocking on doors and passing out gospel bags. Me and this guy together. And then, boom, apostatized, cut off, gone. And one of them sitting in my office with the windows open, and here comes, riding Harley Davidson motorcycle, and his do rag thing on. He comes in high on some types of drugs, and I just wanted to say hi. This broke my heart. You see, we went door to door, taking the gospel bag, now you're high on drugs and flying around with your do-rag and coming in to say, Hi, what's wrong with you? He'd been cut off. He'd apostatized and left the faith. He's never returned. Some are cut off by open sin. They fake everybody. Everything's good. Everything's great. I'm so righteous. I'm so holy. And then their sin is exposed. You're like, Oh my, and they don't repent, they don't turn, they're not humbled, and they just go their own way. And then some are cut off by death. Children die, teenagers die, adults die, just like that, gone, cut off. No more opportunity, no more chances, no more place of repentance, just dead. Laying in a box, expecting the preacher to preach them into heaven. Dead. No more to hear another sermon. No more to be under the gospel. You understand, there are teenagers this day in this church, adults here this day, that may never see the light of a Monday. And it's wake up in hell. You're, just, you're supposed to believe what this book says and they're going to, you're going to wake up in hell and what are we doing? we're doing every activity under the sun to keep our kids active while their souls are being prepared for hell they're going to wake up dead cut off And the worst case scenario some are cut off late when they stand before the judge of all the earth And he says, depart from me. I have never known you. Cut off for eternity. Now, verse 4, it says, apart from the vine, you cannot bear fruit by itself. You can't do it. It's impossible. You're not able to do nothing without the vine. I just want to make this one note It is impossible for us to bear fruit unless we're in the vine. But it is not impossible for the vine to bear fruit without us. He chose us to bear fruit, not because he needed us, but just as my friend Justin Peters would say, but just because he jolly well pleased to do so. Just understand, he's not dependent upon us. We are dependent upon him. Now, we finally get to verse 6, and there are just five points or five things upon this. But I want us to think about an overview first. Let me give you the five. Let me give you whether they're singular or plural, and then let us go through them. Here are the five things that happen to non-fruit producers. Number one, thrown out. Number two, withered. Number three, gathered. Number four, notice the difference, thrown into. The first thrown, the both same Greek word, the first one was thrown out. The the, The second one we're looking at is thrown into. And then the last one is burned. Thrown out, withered, gathered, thrown into, and burned. Now, watch how this works with the plural and the singular. The first one is singular. So the, the branch, singular, that does not bear fruit is thrown out. That's an individual case-by-case case issue. One individual not bearing fruit, that branch is thrown out. And then singular, the branch that is thrown out, that branch individually withers. Then you have the plural, Those individual branches that are thrown out all over the place, they're gathered, plural. They are gathered, individually thrown out, individually cut off. And then plural, they're gathered together, and then plural again. That was gathered, they are thrown into. And then he goes back to the individual, and he is burned. Start out singular, thrown out, withered, singular, and then gathered. It's plural. Gathered, they're thrown into. Individually, that individual then... It's having a direct application of the wrath of God upon them for all of eternity. That individual is burned by God's wrath for all of eternity with no abating, no aborting of the process. Hell is an eternal reality for every person who is not in the vine. Now, going back, thrown out, number one, look at verse 6 again. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away, thrown out. Now, to ca- interesting definition, but to cause to move from one lake location to another, throw with the use of force. You ever been to Arkansas to a river, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, I don't know, something within you. You go to Arkansas, you stand on the river, the water's clear, you look down, you see rocks. What do you do? You pick one up what do you do with it? You try to skip it. That's what you do. I don't know why, you just do. So you pick up the rock and you throw it. it hits about one time, makes a splash. And you throw a little bit harder, you get a little bit, and you're thrown with all your might to make it go from one distance to the other distance. That's the word here. He's taking the individual, grabbing them by force, and flinging them with all of his might. They're thrown out because they're not connected to the vine. Let me give you a couple of references to go with this idea of thrown out, because this is what's happening for every person not connected to the vine. Matthew 3.10, just, just a couple, maybe, maybe three or four, but Matthew 3.10, even now, think about it. Think about the reality of the Word of God. Even right now, right this very moment, not later. Right now, your child. Right now, your grandchild. Right now, your wife. Your husband. Right now, your grandparent. Right now, your neighbor. Your coworker. Right now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Right now, it's sharp and ready. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, it's cut down. Then what happens? It's thrown. That's, they're living every day on the edge of an axe blade and at any given moment the hand that wields the blade cuts It's over. Matthew 5 29 it's hyperbole I'm sure but I don't know that it's hyperbole I think it's just truth I got in a fight with a seminary professor over this idea of hyperbole or whether it's literal if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away It's better you lose one of your members than your whole body. Be thrown into hell. To me, that's not hyperbole. That's reality. You're going to be thrown into hell. I mean, we may not be Southern Baptists, but we're still Baptists, right? Baptists used to believe in a place called hell. People actually go because they reject the only Savior. Are we still Baptists? Are we Baptistic that we believe the Word of God? Matthew 13, 42, parable of the weeds. Throw them into the fiery furnace. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 50, the parable of the net. Throw them, the bad, the evil, throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All of this is being applied to the branch that does not bear fruit, and you can't bear fruit unless you're actually in the vine. And you won't know if you can bear this fruit until you see it born outside the walls of the church in the reality of life. Number two, withered. Those who do not remain with Jesus, ex rhino, means to stop a flow. Such as sap or other liquid in something. So it causes dryness. When I was growing up, my dad had a fireplace. He had to have real firewood. As soon as I moved out of the house, he bought one of them propane gas log things. But when I was there, he had split wood. Old-fashioned way, we didn't have the splitter. You had to use a maul and a a wedge and an axe and split wood. So you cut down an oak tree in October. Big oak tree about this big. You cut it down. What do you do with it? Nothing. It's green. It won't burn. Just let it lay there and come back next year and cut it. Why? Because by next year, all the sap will be gone. Think of the image. I remember in front of my grandmother's house, this huge oak tree. They cut it down to build the highway large. Huge oak tree. Shade all these green leaves. All of that there. And then, boom, it goes down and just time. All the leaves turn brown. You could bend the limbs. And then one day, they just snap. That's what happens. You have people involved and around the vine. They look like they're in the vine, and then they separate from the vine. They're cut off. They become more crusty. They become more callous. They become more hard-hearted, and all the opposites of the fruits of the Spirit become to be exhibited in their life. They just dry up and die. That's what happens. They wither. Like Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, verse 24, Isaiah said, Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Or the parable of the sower, Mark 4, 6, When the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. You'll remember Jude, chapter 1, the end of verse 12, described the false prophets as fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. Number three, they are gathered. Those who once appeared to be connected to the vine, now dried up, the only course of action that remains is to gather them into a pile. It's kind of like that parable. Let them grow together till the harvest. At the harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds, gather all the weeds, do that first, bind them and put them in bundles. Why? Why would we do that? To be burned. But you gather the wheat, that's a separate product, you gather the wheat wheat, and you put it in my barn. There's a separation here. It's like, who's Christian in this room? I didn't know. I can't just pluck out Christian, non-Christian. But there's a day of reapers coming. And everyone that's not connected to the vine is going to be gathered up first. They'll be gathered up where they can be burned. But those that are really in the vine, they're going to go and be in the barn. The place that he has prepared for us that we will always be with the Lord. Son of man will send his angels. Mark, Matthew 13, 41. The son of man will send his angels. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin, all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be a group gathering of individuals for the purpose of the execution of judgment. And then this group that is gathered, number four, they're thrown into. this pile. It's all lumped together. is thrown into. Matthew 7, 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 13, 49 and 50, listen church, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and they're going to separate evil from righteous and they're going to throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is it it points like this? A preacher might say, I preach this because I believe it. It doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. I ought to believe it because it's the Word of God. But this text of what I'm preaching to you is not based on my belief. Look, if I don't believe it, it's still true. If I say I reject it all, the angel is still coming and he's still gathering and he's still throwing in the fire whether I believe it or not. This text is before every one of us. You have to look at a text like this and say, do you mean you're talking about my son? Are you talking about my grandchildren? Are you talking about my grandma? No, but this text is. This text is talking about your grandma and about your spouse and about your uncle and about your neighbor and about your coworker. This text is talking about everybody on the face of this globe that's not really in the vine. They will be cut off. They will wither. They will be gathered and they will be thrown into a fire and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you actually believe that, it would affect you. And God forgive me for the times that doesn't break my heart. Because there are times. He can't walk in a, in a state of always being so tender-hearted for the law. Sometimes I get cold and callous just like anybody else, but texts like this break my heart at my lack of love for souls, my lack of concern for Oliver and, and, and Ellie and for and for Echo and for William. I mean, think about all four of them. They need to repent. They need to believe the gospel all the day. Maybe God would let me fly to Alaska and see William baptize and profess faith in. Christ, oh let me fly to Illinois and see Ellie stand up in the baptismal waters and my best friend Brett grab a hold of her and put her down under there'd be somebody in the room shouting amen I want to see that because if not they might be cut off God doesn't owe Ellie anything, no more than he owes me anything it's a problem if you believe this stuff it affects you And number five is they'll be burned back to the individual singular to cause something to burn. Now, BDAG lexicon says to be consumed or burn up. And that's where some of these high-minded philosophers come up with the doctrine of annihilationalism. They got it out of this lexicon. It's to be burned up. You go to hell and poof, you're burned up and you are no more. This is the verses that I confronted my professor who believed in annihilationalism. I confronted him with this, and I received no answer. It's not all that remarkable, but here's my text, Matthew 25, 46. These will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. How can you make one eternal and one annihilational? Eternal punishment is eternal, and eternal life is eternal life. And then also Mark 9:43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than two hands to go into hell to the unquenchable fire. Unquenchable. You can't put it out. It just burns. Forever. Is, is anybody are you, are you alive? Are you a mannequin? You in here that have not repented. You've not been baptized. You've not believed upon Christ. I'm talking to you. Your soul. You've got to give account to God. Believe upon Christ that your sins may be forgiven. Repent. Ask God for mercy. Say, Lord, please save me. I believe in Christ. He's beautiful. He's good. He's substituted on the cross for me. He died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. I've got no good works. I've got no money. I've got no righteousness but Would you have mercy on me? Would you plead with him until he gives you a new heart? And then he gives you a new heart. The chains would fall off and you would rise up and be free. Amen. Amen. Brother Jeff, you come. Lead us in.